morning show, Sports Now 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Red Wings tonight. I'm going to say, but yeah, it's no, tonight no, in no, Sweden. No, 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 it's, it's not. It's it not. is. It is. 8 o'clock at night. Yeah, great. We're Swedish all in Sweden. Time. We are all in Sweden, and we definitely care no, about Stockholm time. The Red Wings and Senators are in Sweden, and they will kick off this global series event. Four teams, Red Wings, Senators, Minnesota Wild, and Toronto Maple Leafs. They kick it off this afternoon Eastern, but tonight in Sweden, 2 o'clock, Red Wings and Senators. And then the Leafs get the thing that is the biggest advantage. This is what you cannot argue with. Of the four teams, Brent. They're all at a disadvantage is the thing I'm going to say, but go ahead. Okay. Of the four teams who traveled across the Atlantic Ocean to go to Sweden to play in these games in the Global Series for the NHL, the Leafs have the biggest advantage of all of them. Second is the Senators who don't play a back-to-back either, but the Senators get both the Red Wings and the Wild on the front half of back-to-backs. Leafs get both of them on the back half of back-to-backs. Leafs, Red Wings, tomorrow at 2 o'clock Eastern time, and then they get the day off on Hockey Night in Canada. They get to sit back and awesome. and, and relax and watch Ron McClain. And then... Yeah, I'm sure they're doing that. And then they get the Minnesota Wild on the back end of... Of their back-to-backs yep. in Sweden. You can't argue with that. The NHL at least made a conscious decision to give one. They knew one team was going to have this advantage if you're going to do the schedule, which I, I is another part of the head-scratching nature of this thing. Like, I don't – why are you playing back-to-backs considering the the lack of rest these teams are going to have with all the travel that's Agreed. It's a terrible idea. But if you're going to do that – one team's going to get a huge advantage. They decided Maybe. it's the first team to play a regular season game in Sweden in its history, and that's the Toronto Maple Leafs. You can't argue with that. That's just the – them's the facts. I don't know that it is. We can't look at this like a normal back-to-back. Would I rather Would I rather not play a back-to-back and get teams on the back half of it if I'm the Leafs? Of course. Like, yes, you would sign up for that. But this is not a normal back-to-back. All these teams have been sitting around having, again, not – my words, theirs, right off days and off days. I, you might as well shake a magic eight ball when you try to figure out what's going to happen in these games because I don't think you know at all what to expect. Is it better to have the back half of the That's back to back? It's better, but it's about? far from – this is not like when you have the back half of back to back and it's you've been sitting at home waiting. Everybody's had the same weird mm. schedule going on. So it's better. It's, I suppose, an advantage, but I don't know that it necessarily is one. John Klingberg doesn't look like he's going to play in tomorrow's game, which means I I don't know. Is he? Who knows? Actually, because he was not healthy to play in the Friday game against the Calgary Flames, mm-hmm. and then 24 hours later he's he was fine, and then not healthy again. Uh, and for, I told you what they were going to say. The plane did him no favors. Yeah, no, you gotta give credit that. where credit's due. I'm an excuse maker. I know. <laughs> so John Klingberg not going to play in tomorrow's game. Against the Red Wings, doesn't look like Connor Timmons is going to make his season debut in Sweden, which I get. Or at least he's not going to play in Friday's game. I wonder if there's a scenario where that's, hey, we got to take at least two points out of this trip. And the more significant game is clearly against the division rival Red Wings, who Mm -hmm. are off to a surprisingly good start this year. We'll see if they have staying power. That if the Leafs pick up the two points in that first game, whether it is more of an experimental lineup that they put on the ice against the Minnesota Wild, whether that's Connor Timmins in his season debut, or it's now experimental when you got the guy making $4 bucks on your blue line, and you put him back in the lineup, see if he can back up 
his best game of the season playing in sheltered third minutes against the Canucks on Saturday. You put him in into the lineup on Sunday. Yeah, I really I really have no read on the on the Klingberg situation. Like I was listening to Kepper yesterday. He was bandying about the possibility of like whether this is potentially eventually leading to an LTIR situation. Hard to say when a guy played in the last game that, yeah. that they played. It's uh it is really a, a tricky one. I'm having a hard time getting a read on it, honestly. All right. Well, let's talk to someone who would know. Uh, he is our insider. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's insider, Luke Fox in Sweden. Oh, I wish I knew what the, the word for hello in, in Swedish is, and I don't. Do you now, Luke? <laughs> I'm ashamed to say I don't. I know. Like I was like, it, oh, it, it must be right on the tip of my tongue, and nothing came out. It is, Hala. It is pretty That's incredible. It. Hey, guys, I you... got it. I got it. It's Hala. Hala. That's it. Hala yeah. at your boy. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Got it for you. <laughs> you, can get by, you can get by with English pretty good here. Holy cow. Like, like, what, better, what? Than, better than Montreal. <laughs> 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 why, why are the Swedes so good at the English? Like, it must, is it like mandatory in, in grade school there to learn English? Have you been diving into the education I, system I, I while think you're over is. there? I think, I think most, most of them are trilingual. Most of them know French as well. Yeah, they're really? they're way smarter than us. They're mm. smarter, cleaner, fitter, better looking. <laughs> they they haven't figured out here. <laughs> All right, uh, and yeah, they're they're uh, happy with their their hockey teams in that country too. Because we yeah we talked to Josh Cloak earlier, and he said there's not a ton of Leaf fans uh, necessarily walking around Stockholm. Uh, these days, honestly, Luke, I'm embarrassed to say that I I read your piece. Not that I'm embarrassed that I read your piece, but I read your piece and the <laughs> and the note about the Leafs being the team that gets both the Red Wings and the Wild on the back half of back to back. I it's pretty hilarious. One that they have teams playing back to backs in Sweden, and two that the Leafs are the only team of the four that get these teams on the back end of back to backs. It does feel like a significant advantage. And the Leafs are the only team that's not wasting any home games here. Yeah. Both their both of these games are technically road games, and that's because Scotiabank sells out and helps with the hockey-related revenue. But it also means that the Leafs aren't wasting home ice advantage over here, where um, both the Red Wings and the Minnesota Wild will be wasting home ice even though they're they're away. So, yeah, the schedule sets up really nice for the Leafs, especially the, the Wild that they get on Sunday. They play at 5 p.m. on Saturday, Minnesota does, and then they play at 2 p.m. It, like, the, the amount of rest they have is, isn't even 24 hours. Like, the Leafs should win these games. That'd be nice. I I look at it and say, you're right. Like, of course, you would rather have the back half of the back to, or not have the back half of the back to back and be the team sitting there and waiting. And you'd rather not burn your home games. But I also look at this as a complete crapshoot in terms of what we're getting from any of these teams. I mean, the guys all called the practice a write-off the other day. They're practicing on international ice. Sheldon Keefe seemed so thrilled about the mandated off day uh, that, that is coming today. Like, do you have, like, I understand what you're saying, that, yeah, it sets up well for the Leafs, but do you have any feel for what to expect from any of these teams, given the layoff and, and just the, let's be honest, like, weird week in terms of scheduling they've all had? Yeah, it is, it is certainly unique, um, and it's it's kind of like a celebration of hockey for for the city and and the country. Like, just y- unusual things. Like, so tonight, Daniel Alfredson's going to be on the Senators bench 
as like a guest coach for both the, the Sens games, just because he's a Swedish legend. So there's all these, there's going to be three anthems before every game. They're playing at odd times. Uh, it, it's definitely going to be unique. I, I have no feel. The, the only thing I would say is it does take an adjustment. I've been here a couple of days already and I'm still getting up in the middle of the night for an hour and then falling asleep past my alarm. Like it, it does mess with you. So I understand why Sheldon is, is quite concerned about the guys getting their sleep. I don't think he was thrilled that they got the full day off today. I think he'd rather keep them at the rink and uh, keep them on schedule because he is concerned. These are big points. And it's interesting how the, the Leafs stacking a couple wins before they went over here totally changed the tone and the mood around the group. They needed those wins. Like, it is tight around the Senators in the wild. Both those coaches, there's murmurs that, you know, their jobs are insecure. And had Sheldon Keith lost against the Flames and the Canucks, who knows? Maybe the, the tension would be there around the Leafs as well. So I think that was really key that they got a couple wins before they hopped on that, that charter over here because um, it just, I think, alleviated some of the tension. Yeah, no, totally. I'm, I mean, it's a it's a double-edged sword, right? Uh, because on one hand, it definitely alleviated some of the tension. On the other hand, you know, a team that finally found some momentum and gelling together, maybe you would have liked to have keep keep that going. I, you know, I'm going to just put this as point blank as I can. Is there anything good? I asked the exact same question to Josh Cloak, and uh, the, the best he was able to give me is William Nylander is going to leave feeling even better about himself than he already does. Is there anything good that can come out of this trip? From I mean, I'll, I'll point it about the Leafs, but any of these teams. I mean, you know, we hear about the idea of team bonding, but you, you said it there with Sheldon Keefe. No coach in the world would say, yeah, I, I want my team to effectively take a two-week vacation in the middle of the season, and then we'll try to ramp back up for, for hockey. Like, do we think this is, there's any good that can come from a, a Leafs perspective for this trip? Yeah, I think I think the team bonding is real. I, I think, you know, it's kind of like when you go on a class trip or whatever. Like it's a, it, it's a bit. Everyone's in a foreign environment. Everyone, you know, loosens up. They're together with the guys all the time. There's, you know, guys don't have their families here. It's it's good team bonding. I would point you to the 2019-20 uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. So they did this trip mm-hmm. uh, around this around this time of year. And they went on to win the Stanley Cup. And I remember talking to some of the guys and uh, just saying, like, what a a great opportunity it was for them to gel as a team. And a lot of the players pointed to that uh, trip um, to Sweden as when they came together. Mm. Um, So this can be spun positively. Mm. Of course, if they come back and, and, you know, they look horrible in Chicago and Pittsburgh, Next week, we're going to point to this and say, well, their sleep was disrupted. All those time zones, oh, they're, they're throwing off. They should never have went. Mm-hmm. So it, it, however it goes, we're going to spin the narrative as either positive or negative. I but, wonder if they'll find Andre Vasilevsky over there on this trip to, to Sweden. <laughs> I feel like that was probably a pretty big thing for the Lightning. Right, Just me, me personally. I don't know. We'll see. Here's what I'll be doing. If they take four instigators tomorrow in the first period, I'll be like, oh, yeah, they are. They're coming together. They're really figuring it out how to fight for each other. Um, uh, all right, to to the hockey on the ice that will be played. I, listen, we're not reporters. We don't have to be as as uh, forthright and only use the facts at our disposal and not, you know, steer people in directions we that we don't have. We can spitball about John Klingberg. Let's call a spade a spade. Yeah, we can put our tinfoil hats on, right? Like, And, and wonder exactly the nature of his injury. This is a guy that was injured in a game... Uh, against Calgary and the next day was not injured and then you know it gets a week off and is injured again this it does feel weird Luke 
It's very weird. So he's missed three straight practices. I saw him yesterday. He was just kind of hanging out um, in his tracksuit, watching the other guys practice by the glass. And, you know, we asked Sheldon Keith about it, and he's like, well, we thought he'd, you know, hopefully be practicing yesterday, and then uh, the flight didn't do him any good, and he's, he's got to work on some things. But Sheldon Keith has been asked very direct questions. What is the nature of this guy's injury? What is going on? And he's basically saying, I'm not telling you. And the Leafs don't normally, aren't normally like that. Usually they'll say upper body, lower body at the very least. Uh, you know, when Tim- Timothy Lilligren got hurt, it was high ankle sprain. There, you have it. Um, so th- this is very curious, the whole Klingberg thing. And then, you know, adding to the, the speculation is the fact that the Leafs are very obviously trying to change their decor. They are definitely have eyes for Chris Tanev and Nikita Zdorov. And in order to bring anyone in and change the blue line mix, which is ultimately what Pride for Living wants to do, some money has to move out. And um, right away this season, John Klingberg's money looks like bad money because he, he hasn't played well. So that is added to the, the speculation. What is actually going on here? So, um, you know, we're, with, with them being coy about it, we're left, we're left to, with more questions than we have answers right now. What we know is that he's unlikely to, to play Friday. Hopefully he, the plan is, is to get him on the ice for the morning skate tomorrow, but it's unlikely he plays. It's unlikely Connor Timmon plays, so it's, it's probably going to be the same blue line that we, that we saw uh, last time Klingberg was out. So where, where are we at on, on Timmons? Obviously with Klingberg, it's, it's a much more ambiguous situation. We're all kind of unsure with Timmons. You know, we know he's working his way back from something. I've wondered if they would give him his first game in, in Sweden. Maybe I make too much of that. I mean, it's an NHL game. Why, why can't he, he get in there? But do you have any feel on, like you said, not going to be available for, for tomorrow afternoon, but do you think we're really close there? And, and what does that do to the conversation surrounding the blue line? Because I don't think anybody sits there and goes, ah, Connor Timmons is going to solve everything but if you have another body in the mix wouldn't you want to at least see how that slots in before you go do anything too drastic one way or another sure and and no it's not like connor timmons is coming around with a cape he's not he's not there to save the day like for sure and training camp he he was the seventh defenseman but what he is is the right shot right like they've been dressed with with klingberg out they've been dressing six lefties and you know tj brody of course is comfortable playing the offside and, and jake mccabe has has been doing that a little but it's not ideal coaches don't want to dress six lefties so i, I think you know connor timmons coming back is, is a positive sign he also had a fantastic camp he was he was phenomenal like it, it, it's really a bummer the timing of his injury because he seemed to be coming into the season with a little bit of momentum now he's practiced three straight days in, in a row uh, without the no-contact sweater and has looked good. Um, he's also grown a fantastic Movember stash, mm. um, which is pretty That's impressive. That's all I needed to hear. Get uh, him in. <laughs> uh, so, you know, th- he is also doubtful for tomorrow, but I wouldn't be surprised if he got in Sunday. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, he look, he's looking good. He's looking good. He's practicing in full, like contact. And, and he actually said that when he got hurt, that his goal was to try and get back for this trip and play in this trip. Hmm. Yeah, I do wonder if, if the result uh, tomorrow impacts the lineup they, they put on the ice on Sunday. Like, they're trying to get all four points, I understand, but you can't. You got to get at least two here. So, yeah, you lose to the Red Wings on their back-to-back, and, yeah, it puts a little more impetus in getting the two points. 
against Minnesota on on Sunday. We'll see. I, I want to circle back to everybody that's looking to pick the carcass of the the Calgary Flames here on the blue line. It's it's. It's almost November, or it's almost December, but not really. Like, we're in the middle of November here. The trade deadline's a long ways away, and, and I know the Leafs could use some blue line help, like, today. But it's unlikely, I think, Luke, that it's trade season, or do you get the sense that something could be happening here well before we get uh, really, really embedded in, in trade deadline speculation? Yeah, it, do- it doesn't feel like anything's imminent, um, just because, you know, there's so... There's no reason to make a trade now. We hardly ever see trades in November once in a while. But really, I, I think Craig Conroy is probably hoping that his team plays his way out of the mm-hmm. out of this. I think the only the only increased pressure is how public this has become. Yeah. And if Conroy's worried that you know, apparently Zadorov talked to all his teammates behind closed doors and got his thoughts out in the open, and uh, everyone was upfront about it, but. You just wonder, uh, especially the, the season that the Calgary Flames had last year with all the drama, if they really want another distraction. I, I think that's the only thing that could help trigger a trade is, is just like Craig Conroy saying, we can't just keep playing and, and answering all these questions and having a guy in the, in the dressing room that doesn't want to be there and his agent is making that very public on social media. This is too much for us. If that, if that kind of... Um, pushes his hand and, and makes a move before he needs to. Uh, and it's a test for him as a rookie GM, right? Like, th- these are big trades. He's got some massive UFAs. It's not just Zadorov. It, it's, it's Tanev and it's Hannafin. And, you know, we know how coveted defensemen are in this league. Like, he has to create a market. He has to create a bidding war for these guys. Um, and right now, you, you would think, don't sell right now. You're just wondering behind closed doors is it is it hurting the culture of the team when the guy looks down the bench and sees a guy that obviously doesn't want to be there yeah march 8th is the nhl's trade deadline that's a long time from now uh yeah (laughs) it's like that's springtime where we're not yet in uh, official winter yet that's a long time to be faking the john klingberg uh injury my words not yours uh and i just a little bit in jest like there's a, only so many long flights that you can account for john klingberg god ah, just not healing right his mysterious injury that's Don't not give up the for nhl any deals uh, ideas please okay so i and that is i think the most likely scenario is that yeah the flames one try to get back into it they're not they're not totally folding a camp even though the more likely scenario is they are sellers at the deadline and that the selling that takes place is at best in february so how how the leafs handled the klingberg thing i mean he did look at his best last we saw him on saturday against the vancouver canucks uh the bar is super super low but yeah not on the ice for any goals against leafs didn't allow any five on five goals against how do they handle this thing and is there the possibility that that he plays ball and, you know, makes it a little bit easier to, to bring in even players that are not being brought in via trade in, in some LTIR stint for a guy that's a pending free agent. That's a hard one for me to imagine. Yeah, I, I mean, right now, what, what's, his, what's his stock, though, right? Like, I think that the best case is to try and get him up and playing better. And, and the thing is, he actually had a, a decent game by his, by his leaf standards against the Canucks. He, he looked okay. Uh, you know, he is what he is. He, he's an offensive defenseman. So I think it's smart to have him running the power play. Hopefully he gets a bunch of points, and, and then maybe that makes him a little bit more attractive. And then you try to shelter him as best as best he can. 
And um, because we they're being so, you know, gray about uh, the nature of his injury, maybe maybe part of his performance has been whatever has been ailing him. And, and maybe if they give him significant rest, and, and it will be now, it'll be a full, it'll basically be a full week off if he doesn't play tomorrow. Then then hopefully you know, he, he heals up and, and can perform better and, and either help them right now or help them in terms of making himself more attractive as a trade. I mean, that's that's the only way to, to, to do it. Otherwise, you're just dumping salary. And to do that, you have to attach, what, a first-rounder? Like, like, how many more assets do you want to give up to get rid of your problem? It, the, the, these are ugly trades to make right now. The, the best scenario is, you know, you hope he gets healthy and hope he plays better. Yeah, that would be uh, quite the black eye on Brad Living's least resume of his very first, or I guess yeah. second, Reeves was the first one, but his second uh, free agent acquisition happened to attach a pick that early on. Uh, something tells me he'd be hesitant to do it. Not that he wouldn't, but uh, you certainly want to exercise every avenue. Uh, Luke, last one for me but before we let you go here, uh, goaltending. Uh, it seems like maybe I've missed it. I, I'll be honest, I've been going a little head in the sand on everything coming out of Sweden here because it irks me to no end, but maybe I missed it. Uh, goaltending seems like they've been a little shy in revealing what the plan is for these next two games. Does this feel like a, just again, because of the layoff, because neither guy has really grabbed the net as of late. Does this feel like a kind of complete reset of where the Leafs goaltending tandem is at heading into or, or coming out of this Sweden trip? Yeah, well, I, I think they've never really trusted either guy to be a, a 60 start guy. I mean, it's always great if one guy grabs the net and makes it undeniable, but I think they've come to the realization that they're going to need both guys up and running. And, uh, you know, whoever's playing well, ride them for a stretch, but also rest them. Like, neither one of these guys is, has been a, a workhorse, a healthy guy that, you know, routinely plays a ton of games in the NHL. Uh, I think they're just kind of taking it week by week, and they want to keep both guys active and involved. Um, they actually uh, have Martin Jones over here practicing with the team just in case. Um, so they have a third goalie uh, just as an emergency. But my bet, and, and they haven't announced it yet, I think we'll find out tomorrow morning's, uh, morning skate, but my bet is that they split the starts here just to give both guys a chance to participate in a, in a very unique event. And then there's also not a, a ton of rest between the two games. So I'd be shocked if, if, if it was uh, one guy got both starts. I would expect Samsonoff and Wolves to each get one. More rest than the Red Wings and Wildcat in those games. Yeah, that's true. It's that's it, true. it is mind bending the way the schedule is working. Uh, Luke, uh-huh. uh, great job. Uh, enjoy Sweden, buddy. Thanks for doing this. Okay, I'm going going into the Viking Museum now, so uh, that should be fun. Yeah, yeah. A report back. Let's see Go some pillage picks. it. Go yeah. pillage <laughs> it. All right, see you, man. <laughs> okay, take care, guys. Bye. Uh, Luke Fox, Sportsnet. Leafs reporter, he was our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Yeah, Vikings, Scandinavia. I do think about, like, Norway more. I definitely Vikings. think more Norway with Vikings, but Scandinavia as a whole. Mm-hmm. Vikings, I, I'm, you know what? Uh, they don't need my permission. I will allow them to have a Viking museum in mm-hmm. Sweden. Good with me. I think you would do well on a Viking funeral. I think that would work for you. Oh, where they, uh, like, wait, you think it'd be good for me to float down the river burning on fire, or you think I'd have it in me to shoot the arrow into... I think just in a, in general, it's a good look for people. Like, I do, too. As far as Why funerals we, go... Why don't we do that? 
Yeah. That seems so for they I, did it. Well, you know, your favorite show, Game, Game of Thrones. Thrones. I know yeah, they did it. It's so embarrassing for the guy. He couldn't hit it. And then, oh okay, yeah, I'm gonna sound too nerdy if I keep talking about this. But for those who don't know. Viking funeral, you put somebody in a, like, I guess, an open casket of, of effects. It's like a you, canoe. Yeah, sure. You float them down the river. There's some kindling in there. Arrow, light on fire, beautiful good send one. off. It's a good. Can't one. believe we're talking about this. You think I'm dark? You brought it up. Well, I think of when I think of the Vikings. Wait, oh, I thought, I honestly oh, thought the you were other about thing. to say, you're like, when I think of you, I think, think of your death, <laughs> especially after you did not advance uh, on a yellow yesterday. You know, I. I want so bad to get in front of you leaving the building today just to go no, you five know what? miles an hour down the road. You will. You'll have an hour advantage because I'm going to stick around to do J.D. Bunkus' show. So oh, I'm going to stick around the parking lot. Oh, my God. I'm just waving people around like, I'm waiting for Ben. Yeah. Just go. Go around. God, nothing made me more I angry. know. I know. Who? Okay. You know what? Definitively, let's put a little bow on this for today until you bring it up, I'm sure, with Adnan in four minutes. But mm-hmm. what made who matter? Just the existence of the Sweden trip for me or me not turning on the yellow mm, for you? I, I, well, I mean, I can, I only know specifically how much it made me yeah, angry. Yeah, but like we've talked about it a lot. I think you have a pretty good the handle on is, how much it irks you, me. You're angry about so many things that it's just like, it's like a little bit more anger for this thing. For me, like I try to keep it between the lines All here. your anger is in the car, isn't it? A lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Not. It's- it's actually where I'm. I'm pretty chill oh in the car. God. Everywhere oh else God. in life, not. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. Would no, you describe that Adnan? Made me very angry. Would you describe Adnan as chill? The very. most chill. Yeah, very. Holy cow! Well, like high energy, but chill. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know? uh, who doesn't love Adnan Verk? Everybody loves him. Uh, I, like a. I realized the way that sounded. Everyone loves Adnan. Yeah. And you're like, who doesn't love Adnan? I'm like, everybody. <laughs> We'll talk to the man everybody loves uh, of MLB Network and the Cinephile Podcast. Next, as the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. So we wondered whether this would be the week, and for our convenience, we hoped it would be. But I guess it could happen next week as it's well. It's too late now. He cannot do it now. But next week, again, we're no, doing no, the no, same it's thing. Fine. It's just like he can't. He has to wait until Tuesday. Oh, if he, I see. If he does it this weekend, he being Shohei Otani, it makes me share Leafs' reaction when I have not got to do it for two weeks on mm-hmm. Monday and NFL. I'm going to be very upset with, with Shohei. So he, it, it, he has missed his chance. He gets to do it on Tuesday, and that's it. Okay, we'll see. I know Adnan's probably wondering what, what's happening right now. Uh, sh- we're talking about Shohei Otani and and his potential signing in these two weeks where there's perilously little Leafs information uh, considering they play two games There's too in much Sweden. information is the problem. Yeah, and not enough games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they play tomorrow and Sunday in Sweden then take another week off. Let's talk to Adnan Burke of MLB Network and the Cinephile Podcast. How's it going, Adnan? Ben Brank could be with you guys as always. That is true, a little quiet in Leafland, but don't worry. I, I can't see Otani signing anytime soon. We've seen this every year. These guys take longer and longer to sign. So mm. I don't think he's going to be like signing in March, but I, I think we can wait until at least the winter meetings and uh, enjoy the next couple of weeks. I guess, but I kind of thought he was different, right? That like, what does he need to know? I, I, I really don't think it's going to come down to the last dollar with him. Maybe that's, that's the incorrect thinking surrounding him, but... I would have thought he had a pretty good idea of where he wanted to go, and I would think if anybody wants more time to prepare and get acclimated with his new team, it's the baseball psycho that Shohei is. 
Yeah, I can see that reasoning. I, I don't think he's a ditherer. I think you're right in that respect, Ben. He's probably had more than enough time knowing, especially once he got shut down in September, played 135 games this year, that you know he was not going to be returning to the Angels in all likelihood. And He's going to win MVP today. He's going to be unanimous. It's been pretty interesting as far as the awards are concerned, by the way. The event of unanimous winners. Garrett Cole, unanimous. Both rookie of the year's unanimous. Blakestown was almost unanimous, 28 first-place votes. Mm-hmm. And Acuna has a chance to be unanimous as well today. So it's interesting. Some of the, the steam's been sucked out of that. But with regards to Otani, the only thing that I think makes things interesting is that Alden Gonzalez of ESPN recently reported that Otani may be open to a short-term deal with a higher AAV. Mm. So if that's the case, and that certainly opens up the pool to a lot more teams, I would have think, you know, prior to that report, it's going to be Dodgers, it's going to be Giants, it's going to be maybe Mariners, maybe Rangers. Those are your four. But it, it really feels like to me Dodgers or bust. I, I need a really good reason for somebody to tell me why it's not the Dodgers. But oh. if you tell me shorter years, higher AAV, all of a sudden it's three years, and let's say three years, 150. Because next year he's only going to be DH. So I'm only paying you $30 million for that. Mm-hmm. But then another two years you're hitting and pitching, I'll give you $60 million for both those years. 60 times two, 120 plus 30. Three years, 150. All of a sudden now you go, well, hang on, the Braves could do three for 150. The Yankees could do three for 150. So I, I do think if he goes short term, that opens up the pool and makes things interesting. I don't think you should. I think if you get to 10-year or 12-year, $500 million offer, take it and go where you're going to be happy. But, I mean, whatever thing we're hearing is that winning is what matters most to him. So if you think a winning franchise is if those teams pony up, I think he's in. Mm, how dare you not mention the Blue Jays in there? Because Ken Rosenthal is doing that. If nothing but <laughs> for clicks, right? Like Jeff Passan did it the other day on ESPN. He didn't necessarily have the report directly about Shohei Otani, but yeah, he had an insider tell him the Blue Jays are looking to do something big this offseason. But this morning, Ken Rosenthal's report uh, out of The Athletic has um, at least one rival executive viewing the Blue Jays as a sleeper for Shohei Otani, and he lists a couple of reasons, and wow. one of which is that they're, they're uh, under very... Uh, short timelines as far as getting this thing done, considering the t- only two more years of team control around Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. Is it, we're we're immersed yep. in the market, and there's so many Blue Jays fans that that hear reports like this seemingly every off season and then roll their eyes because the Blue Jays are involved in so many rumors surrounding big name free agents because of the deep pockets of their ownership group. And you know, it must be said, the last couple of years it's actually come to fruition in the form of George Springer and Hunjin Ryu. So you can dream. But, like, you, working at MLB Network, having access to the world's greatest baseball insiders, what would your level of surprise be if, in fact, the Blue Jays land the biggest fish of free agency, maybe in history? Uh, it would be off the charts. I mean, it would be 100 of 100, 10 out of 10. And that's with no disrespect to our beloved Blue Jays and the fact that Jays do have deep pockets, are willing to spend if need be. And, of course, it's a wonderful fan base and a lovely city and all the rest of it. But I'd be stunned. I, I mean, again, he wants to go to a winner. The Dodgers have won the division 10 of the last 11 years. He wants to be in Southern California, preferably because that's where the weather's warmest. He's been there in L.A. He wants to be surrounded by stars. He's got that with Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, et cetera. So, like, to tell me on the Jays, you have to say, okay, what was it about L.A. that wasn't there? Now, if it's just more dollars, if L.A. for some reason goes, even though they've cleared salary cap space, so I don't get why all of a sudden they'd be skittish in the long-term deal. Because they've cleared the space. Like they, weren't, they were not top five in salary this past year. But let's just suppose they say, you know what, we don't want to go the big dollars. And the Jays go, fine, we'll commit the 10 years, 500 or 12 for 550. Then I suppose. But again, you'd have to convince you that the Giants wouldn't do it. The Giants want, they've been trying to get a star for years, right? That's a big thing for them. So, I, listen, San Francisco whiffed on Aaron Judge. They whiffed on Carlos Correa. 
Like, if it's not the Dodgers, you have to sell me pretty hard that it's not the Giants. Because, again, they can, they can afford the $500 million of the five fifty. So, again, you'd have to really sell me that it, why it's not Dodgers, not Giants. Even Mariners, you know, they have the Japanese fan base with Ichiro here there previously. They're willing to spend. So, I don't know. For, for me, at least, if you just told me where are the Jays, it feels like second tier. I hate to have to say that. But if you just told me in terms of Otani sweepstakes, You'd have to knock up that entire top tier. And the Rangers, by the way, they escalated their salary by $100 million this past year, won their first World Series in 62 years. And again, if it's a short-term deal, I think they'd pony up for Otani. I think Texas is more attractive than Toronto. So, listen, I hope I'm wrong. If it's the Jays, it'd be the greatest thing in Blue Jays history. But uh, I'm skeptical. This is a crazy thing to say about a team that is a perennial 100-game winner who every year are one of, if not the, World Series favorites. But is there a world where Shohei signs with the Dodgers and we talk about it the way we talk about some, like, NBA teams that load up with old vets? I mean, like, we like I don't want to talk about these guys like they're 50, but Mookie Betts is on the other side of 30. Freddie Freeman, a little older than I think some people think. If Shohei Otani signs there, like, can you see a world where they're just dumping money on an older, and again, it's not a decrepit bad team by any means, but if I'm Shohei, I'd, I, I would think maybe if winning is such a important thing and why wouldn't it be, I'd maybe want to attach myself, and I want to be clear, I'm not saying the, the Blue Jays with regards to this, but maybe a, a younger, more up-and-coming core. And I understand the Dodgers have a great system and they always find a way to bring in stars, but I do wonder that element of it. And even just hearing a team like the Braves made me think of that, of like, okay, Albies, Acuna, like the, the, it's a little bit of a younger nucleus there. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true, Brandon, that the Braves have that younger nucleus. Again, it's a short-term type deal. I think the Alex Anthopoulos is going, no, no, we're in on this. We, we can do three for 180 if that's what needs to be because we believe in our young stars. And, again, a lot of those guys are locked up. That's the great thing Atlanta has. They've got incredible cap flexibility because Acuna's long-term deal, Albie's long-term deal, Riley Ron's long-term deal, so Olsen long-term deal. So, like, he's got all his stars for a while at relatively good prices. I mean, it's a steal, obviously, with Albie's and Acuna. Both those guys would love to get good raises, more commensurate with the system. But for Los Angeles, yeah, I mean, it, you're right. It's not a young team. It's not like they're 26, 27. But two of those three guys you mentioned are up for the MVP this year. So there's, there's really no signs of slowing down with regards to Freddie Freeman or Mookie Betts. Freddie in particular, I mean, it, you can look at his numbers and just wipe it out. Because I'm like, to me, he looks like he's playing he's 28 years old. The last three seasons have been the best of his career. And Mookie, after, by his standards, a bit of a quiet first half, was incredible in the second half. I mean, he almost hit 40 home runs, you know, 900 OPS plus. Like, it was, it was amazing. And I really don't think of that. I think if you look at the Dodgers, you say to yourself, that just is a winning franchise. They're emblematic of all that's right in the game. They've got a great manager in Dave Roberts. They've got a really smart GM president in Andrew Friedman. They're willing to spend. But as you said, they've got a really good farm system. Every year you always feel like they're really good in that farm system. So, mm-hmm. no, I, I wouldn't draw the parallel yet with uh, NBA teams looking at, like, washed-up veterans. If those guys were, like, 35, 36, 37, I'd get that. Like, Kershaw's a guy who's year-to-year and now he's turning 35. I could see that as far as their pitching. And, by the way, their pitching could use a little bit of help. But, again, they've got young arms that are pretty good, like the Bobby Millers and Pepios. And uh, Gonsolin's done for the year, but Walker Buehler's going to be back. So, even their pitching is pretty young if a couple of their position players are a little bit older. So, and I, I wouldn't quite buy it. Yeah, no, uh, and they're a team that makes – a ton of sense for Shohei Otani, but again, the, and, and maybe it's just for clicks, all the, the big name insiders keep mentioning the Blue Jays and pa- Jeff Pass, and I mentioned his piece on ESPN, Blue Jays want to do something big, quote, to improve the roster this offseason that according to a source, um, Shohei Otani, obviously, like, that's big. 
If it's not Shohei Otani, though, like, what is the other big move? I, I can't imagine it's happening in free agency. I don't think the Blue Jays, considering how much of their rotation is coming back, by which I mean all of it, and maybe Alec Manoa, you're not super comfortable as him as your fifth starter, so you backfill with, like, a Cal Quantrill or something. But there's literally no rotation spots available for this Blue Jays team. We know how sparse the free agent bat landscape is. Like, is Cody Bellinger, is that big? And if it is, like, he's the one guy that you look at at the very top of the pile if, if you don't land Shohei Otani, and I'm sure the Yankees are going to be in on him. We've already heard that. The Cubs want to bring him back. And then it's like Matt Chapman is the third best free agent available if you're looking to improve your offense. What is something big if it's not Shohei Otani for the Blue Jays? Yeah, and you're certainly right to point out the market, Ben. That's not nearly as uh, robust as you might think after Otani. The guy that I can't wait to see is Yamamoto, the Japanese pitcher, because mm-hmm. it kind of rents point in terms of age. This guy's 25 years old. So I'm like, wait a second. He's a stud and he's young. So I have no problem giving him seven years, eight years. Like, go ahead. Like, I, I have an issue when it's, you know, these 30 year old pitchers, then I get really scared about it. But with regards to him, like, no, this guy's unbelievable. He's 25 and he throws this fastball and a great split. Most Japanese pitchers generally have that great two pitch mix. And. Really easy, effortless delivery. Guy's been phenomenal. So it looks like the Mets are not going to get outbid on him, and they're going to give him $200 million. But that's a pretty big name out there. As far as pitchers, other ones, Aaron Dole, I think, could be commanding $200 million. Montgomery's probably in that 125, 130 range, which is crazy, considering he was like a number four pitcher a few years ago with the Yankees. But now he's obviously rebuilt himself after that postseason resume, how the Rangers and was pretty good with the Cardinals as well. But to your point, the Jays don't need arms. So if they're looking to make a big move, why would you get another arm unless you just say, well, add strength to strength, I suppose. It's the hitters. And Bellinger's the one that makes a lot of sense because he's a lefty power bat, and you can see him doing damage at Rogers Center. But I don't know, man. I, I look at some of these numbers, and I would, I would have said with regards to Bellinger, like I would go like seven for 175. That's $25 million a year mm-hmm. for a guy who's a former MVP, rookie of the year, et cetera. But he's also the two years removed from hitting a buck sixty-five. So you have to be totally convinced that this year, because he was healthy, He's back to being a guy who's going to be a premier player in baseball. And if you think that, then go ahead and give him the money. But he also had two really bad years. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, coming out of COVID, 21 and 22, he really struggled. And I think if I was Cody Bellinger, I would just stick with Chicago. I mean, whatever happened in Chicago worked out for him. Mm-hmm. Had almost 30 home runs, had almost 100 RBI, had over 300. So I think Chicago, and clearly by signing Craig Council, that kind of contract, they want to be a contender. They want to make some moves. So I would think – the Cubs are going to pony up for, for Bellinger and give him what apparently might be like eight years for $200 million. Um, unless the Jays want to outbid, though, which I don't think would be wise, quite frankly. I don't, I don't think he's worth that kind of money, those dollars. Maybe he's for Chicago because he's so important to their team and what they did this past year. But you're right. The only other one, Ben, in terms of like, – because free agents, you're right. It doesn't really get that strong after that. The Jays' own Matt Chapman. Steve Phillips is telling me, former Mets GM, he's going to get five years for 110. I'm like, oof. Oh, for a guy who hits 220 yeah. and had 17 home runs, he had like a 650 OPS after May 9th. Like, that yeah. is awful. I'm not giving that guy $100 million. I know he can pick it. I got it. His defense is incredible. He's a four-war player. I'm not giving you $100 million. That's crazy. The other one, I mean, if you really want to get nuts, is Juan Soto. Yeah. If the Jays are going to pony up. Get right? crazy. If you want to get crazy, like, let's get Juan Soto. I mean, he's going to get... $400 million. He turned down 440 from the Nationals. I don't think he's going to get that. But he had, in some ways, very quietly, because the Padres were such a disappointment, he had a terrific year. I mean, he's, like, he's going to get a 410 on base percentage. He's going to get you a slugging percentage over 500. He's a 900 OPS guy. Um, he's a great player. And he's, you know, obviously in his mid-20s. So if you want to get nuts, 
if the Jays want to give up two, three, four, whatever, how many prospects for one year of Juan Soto and try to sign him, that to me would be about as massive as it gets. I realize this is a, a little crazy as well, or, or I shouldn't say crazy, but just like I don't see this happening. But I do wonder. Do you, and you know, I understand Shohei is a singular entity there, and and the the Tommy John surgery is changing this. But you know, he's still a different animal compared to a guy like Juan Soto. But could you see a team? be it the Dodgers, be it the Yankees, you know, the teams we have bandied about in conversation for Shohei. Could you see them missing out on him and saying, okay, that's the play then. We're going to do an immediate pivot here. We've got to make a trade to trade for and then extend Soto. Like, do you think there's a, because we've seen this before in all sports where teams get hot and bothered and they're going to do the big thing and then the big thing gets taken away from them by one of their rivals or a competitor and they have to pivot. I I do wonder if there's a team that gets, uh, I shouldn't even say bit, but just misses out on Shohei if that's the pivot is a is an aggressive uh, Soto move. I think so. That would make the most sense, and that's why it's even more important for a team like the Dodgers to get Otani. Because you know the Padres are not going to trade in the division. I can't no. imagine a scenario where they go, "Yeah, go ahead, let's just go give one sort of the Dodgers, the team that we're trying to chase down here in the division." So it's also very important for the Giants because they're not going to be able to poach Juan Soto away from the Padres. But maybe a team like the Yankees, who have said we're going to need at least one or two outfielders. And Brian Cashman's comments, which were not met well by Giancarlo Stan's agent, about the fact that, well, he's going to get hurt. That's just part of his game now. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, I, I don't know. He was used to what Cash said. He probably should have kept it quiet, but he's not wrong. Nope. Stan's going to miss a third of the games. But, um, so I think that they're going to need one or two outfielders. Yankees look more like getting Kevin Kiermeyer from the Jays. Again, plays a great defense, relatively uh, not costly. And then they might go after Bellinger. But if not, if the Cubs keep Bellinger, and the Yankees clearly know they're going to improve their outfield, and maybe they go, you know what, we're going to sell them. We don't care. And if Otani is firm on the fact he wants a long-term deal and wants to stay on the West Coast, the Yankees realize they're out of it. But, yeah, I do think that is the quick pivot. You go, okay, before this gets out of hand here, let's make this blockbuster trade. And, you know, I think I share this with the, the same sentiment as Ben. You don't see as many big trades in baseball. The phrase signings happen, but, like, I love a big trade. And one guy that Ben and I talked about previously was Pete Alonso. Yeah. And I'm really curious what happens with him because David Stearns, Here's the thing, right? You make your name for being shrewd, but all of a sudden you got this huge checkbook. So it's kind of like Andrew Friedman with all those years of the race. Hey, I can do a lot with a little, but aren't going to give me a lot? Like, mm. like <laughs> it's, it's tough to get away from your MO, which is let's just be as shrewd as possible, make smart moves. And you go, but dude, I can spend if I want to. I can give Yamamoto $250 million. And Steve Cohen's not going to care. And all of a sudden I got a great potent one-two with him and Senga, and I'll build around that with Quintana, McGill, et cetera. And then Pete Alonso, I don't think the Mets should trade him because I don't know how you – get that power back. Like, I know his average is low. I get that. He should be hitting better than 220, 230. But he hits 40 home runs every year. He's got the most home runs in baseball since he entered as a rookie. But the contract demands, like, if you look at Freeman's contract, that's kind of what the Mets are thinking it should be Pete. Like, six for 160, you know? We'll give you $27 million a year, but six, seven years, that's it. And apparently his camp was looking for more like judge money. Like, wait, I'm the face of the team. We're in New York City. I'm the guy. Like, I want, I want $300 million. They're like, yeah, I got $300 million. So if there's that big a gulf of $100 million in the two sides, then maybe Pete Alonso does get traded. And I got to tell you, I, I think he's a terrific player. I know he's not Keith Hernandez at first base, but he makes the plays that need to happen. And that kind of power in today's game, where else are you getting that? If you lose Alonso, if you're the Mets, you're going to fill up 40, 45 home runs. I think it'd be a really good move if someone can get Alonzo. All right, we were texting about the killer yesterday, Adnan, and we, we got to talk about the killer on Netflix, David Fincher's latest. Uh, I'm so in the tank for Fincher. Christopher Nolan, David Fincher, my two <laughs> favorite uh, directors. 
Um, I, I'm just rewatching The Social Network. I just rewatched uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. <laughs> Seven's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, the Killer, good, not great. I mean, three Maple Leafs out of five for you. Um, what did you make of The Killer? Out of four. Oh, yeah, sorry, out of, out of four. four. I go three. So that's still, yeah, that's still for me a good movie, but you're right in the way you said it. For Fincher, good, not great. And maybe that's not fair to compare a director's work against the rest of his oeuvre, but that's generally, I think, how you do things. You say on its own merit, I thought it was a good film, and within Fincher's own canon, I think it's a relatively minor work. Here's what I liked about it. Fassbender is always reliably riveting. He's got those cold, dead eyes, and he's just so charismatic on the screen. He's such a magnetic presence playing this killer. I like the premise, which is a killer you know, undergoing a, a crisis of conscience <clears throat> after that first scene in the botched hit. Um, and it, as always, the Fincher's movies, it's got a real deliberate style to it, and uh, the production values are excellent. But I just would have liked a little more juice in the story. I just think as the story's going along, I found it a little bit anticlimactic in the ending without giving it away. I would have liked a little more, a bit of a payoff. Um, but again, it, it's definitely a big hit on Netflix, which is great for David Fincher. I know a lot of people like Mindhunter. And I have to your sentiments, Ben, as far as being a premier director. I mean, you mentioned those movies. I would throw in Fight Club as well, which yep. is a classic. I think Zodiac is excellent. So. Oh. He always brings it. But I would say, yeah, I think if you look at his movies overall, this one's a relatively minor work. I did like the use of the Smiths, some really good music. And also um, the deadpan humor of it is interesting. And Ty Burr is a film critic I love. He actually said people are misreading it if you think it's a revenge thriller or like an assassin movie. It's actually a deadpan comedy. It's, it's about as much in a comedy as David Fincher is going to go. And if you listen to the voiceover and enjoy some of the laughs, there's, there's definitely some good laughs to be had. I was lucky enough to see it in the theater. I always you know, appreciate seeing a movie in the theater rather than watching it on Netflix. So I actually watched it when I was in Arizona, that day off I had of the World Series. I saw The, la the Holdovers with Paul Giamatti, which is incredible, one of the best pictures of the year. Then I had to hop in an Uber to go watch The Killer. So I've often, you know, it's not, not rare for me to watch two movies in the same day at the theater, but never in two different theaters, having to drop into two different Ubers. But I'll tell you, the crowd that watched The Killer, because this is a week and a half before it was on Netflix, definitely enjoyed it. And it was a nice communal experience, appreciating that deadpan humor in a the theater. It was fun. Uh, I liked it better than Mank, that's for sure. Um, no offense to Mike and yeah. wrote this. I was say, we should go the other way and say, yeah, we should, we should mention Fincher's movies, which are not as good. Mank is one that, again, the critics loved it. Yeah. Did well at the Oscars. I got beautifully shot, but who the hell is watching Mank on a oh. Saturday night? Nobody. It's, it's a tough one. Uh, and then always a pleasure, buddy. Talk again soon. All right, Ben, Brent. I appreciate it, boys. Take care. See you, man. Adnan Verg, MLB Network and the Cinephile Podcast. You have yet to watch The Killer? No, nope. can I just pull back the curtain of what happened there? I yeah. did not realize he ranked movies on a Maple Leaf scale, mm -hmm. and you said Maple Leafs, and I was like, what did uh, I miss? <laughs> actually, that actually is what happened during that. I was like, wait, wait, what happened? I heard that, like, I'm just cards on the table. That is what happened in the last minute and a half wow. on this show right now. I heard Maple Leafs and was like, what? What? Yeah, oh, no, he ranks just them. movie ranking scale. Three Good job for him. Three out of four. Like, I... Uh. I'm of two minds because I love David Fincher and mm -hmm. I like the movie. I, I'm not necessarily an action guy. Like, I, I love... And I wouldn't classify his movies as, like, action movies, but and I love that Social Network, stuff. obviously, you know. No, you know. no. But I'm talking more like <laughs> yeah, Seven yeah, and... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Zodiac. And I, it was, I it was am, good, not great. I, I, I would recommend you watch it. I am intrigued. It's also not... It's you know, not Scorsese four hours long, so... Yeah. It's not Enjoy. Scorsese, though, either. So. Yeah. Uh, this has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben, I'm Frank Gunning, Sports at 590 Fan. Good, Good morning. morning.